This episode was brought to you by the people on Patreon. Dave, Greg, Ryan, Dan, Ian Urza, Kevin, James, Ashley, Greg, and Pearl, Joel, Brian, Amy, Ian West, and Trey. Stick around for an extended shout-out at the end. Now on to the episode. Welcome to another episode of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, The Father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, and I am joined, as always, by my trusty sidekick, Jackson the Son, and mark my words, before my time in this mortal coil is through, I will be the author of a book titled Hardy Boys Meet Reverend Werewolf, and you can bet on that. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, we are a spoiler podcast. We do spoil the movies we discuss. And for this episode, we are covering a 4th of July pick by our Patreon supporters. We are talking... Silver Bullet. It began in May. And every month after that, whenever the moon was full, it happened again. And again. Nobody knew who or what was responsible. They only knew it had to be stopped. Now, from the master of mystery and suspense, Stephen King's Silver Bullet. To do this, we needed to call in the man, the myth, the legend from Ohio, the man whose name has become an honored verb over at LOTC. <laughs> Welcome back, Mr. Greg Bench. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm glad to be back. This will be a, a, a fun film to talk about. You may be the first person whose name has become a verb on a podcast. I, I, I'm I'm holding the honor very well. I, I actually <laughs> think it's great. So I, I'm, I'm well honored and humbled by it. So it's I. Good. I agree. I love it, man. I love it when you call into LOTC. So, Silver Bullet. Uh, the IMDb synopsis reads, In a small town, brutal killings start to plague the close-knit community. And Marty, a paraplegic boy, is convinced the murders are the doings of a werewolf. And that's not completely accurate, but uh, we'll, we'll dig into it. So, Greg, when did you first see Silver Bullet? You know, it was funny because I was talking about it at work today because I knew I was going to be on. But um, uh, it would have been and and I'll save the rest of the story for later, but it would have been probably right around 86 or 87. Um, the, the movie came out in 85 and my eldest brother had friends that, you know, owned a video rental store. So nice. whenever. So, yeah, whenever anything came out. He and his friends would then, you know, have the room to themselves and watch whatever movie it was. This was one of those where I kind of walked in at the wrong time kind of a situation. (laughs) And, you know, I was only like seven or eight at the time. And it was enough to, you know, give me the heebie-jeebies. But we'll leave leave it there. And there's another half to that story. So. Uh, yeah, cliffhanger. I know, intriguing. I know cliffhanger, <laughs> cliffhanger. to look forward to, but yeah, so it, I had seen it a, a long time ago. Now, as all the way through, that would have been probably right around 90, 91. So gotcha. 
So Jackson, what about you? When did you first see Silver Bullet? Uh, my first time watching it was probably on TV years ago. Actually, we probably watched it together, Dad, yeah. at least in part. I don't remember the specifics. The only reason I know that I've seen it before is because I remember making a Lego stop-motion video based on Silver Bullet when I was like <laughs> 9 or 10. I have a distinct memory of both making that video and finding it and watching it back like a couple years afterwards and thinking, oh, this is so cringe. But that was a few years ago from, from now, so uh, <laughs> I'm sure that moment would be cringe too. But anyways, I doubt I'll be able to find that now. It's probably lost forever, but if it, you know, if it does resurface, I'll definitely post that on the Facebook group or whatever. But um, anyways, watching it this most recent time, everything felt fresh to me. So I'm, I'm counting this as the first time I officially watched Silver Bullet. Um, and, you know, to make it all the more official, I also read the book. I read Stephen King's yeah. Cycle the Werewolf, which, Dad, you gave me. Yep. And uh, that I think that really enhanced my experience. Yeah, and I saw it on VHS around 1986 or so when I was, I would have been about 14. But yeah, I think Jackson, I think I did show you this when you were like around eight or nine. I think it was on like, we watched it together on like AMC Fear Fest or mm -hmm. something like that. So it would have been an edited, you know, version, but yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the plot and the screenplay. Uh, we have Marty, uh, a paraplegic, um, IMDb did at least get that right. Uh, living with his parents and his sister and nearby an uncle played by uh, Gary Busey. And um, <laughs> after killings begin on a monthly basis, the 4th of July fireworks are canceled. Marty's bummed. So Marty's crazy uncle gives him his own fireworks. And that's when he's confronted by a werewolf. No, IMDB, he did not, you know, the killings didn't start. And he was like, ah, I must be, you know, like Fred and from Scooby-Doo and find out what's going on. It's the 4th of July thing. He's confronted by the werewolf. He convinces his sister and eventually his uncle that there may be something going on. So they begin to snoop around the small town um, of, what's it called again? I can't remember, Tucker's Mill or what's it called? Tarkins, I think. Tar like oh, that. yeah, something like that in Maine, of course, because it's a Stephen King uh, novella. I'm sure so, it's bordering dairy. Yes, so I'm sure. So, yeah, yes, as we said, this is based on a novella, The Cycle of the Werewolf by um, Stephen King, which I really liked. I, I had a copy of that since I was a kid and gave a copy to Jackson. And um, so, Greg, what do you think of the plot and the screenplay of Silver Bullet? Uh, I, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it's, 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 it's just interesting that Stephen King still had his hand in it. Um, so I think it's very cohesive with the story. I just think that they tried to jam in maybe a little bit too much, mm -hmm. but maybe it's, just, maybe that's just me. Uh, cause the cycle of the werewolf was that, uh, graphic novel. Yeah. Um, which Some was great, interesting. Great illustrations in it. Too. Oh yeah, and what's interesting is we had a copy of Cycle of the Werewolf in at our high school, but it was only of the drawings. It wasn't of the story. You're so kidding? It, no. And I'm like, what kind of a find would that have been? You oh, know, and I'm God. like, I need to go back to the high school and just, <laughs> I don't know, in air quotes, borrow it. But yeah, it was one of those where I used to pick it up and just, you know, pretend that I was reading uh, as, as bad as that sounds. But <laughs> what's going on in northeastern uh, or northwestern, really, I guess, um, Ohio up there, Greg? What, what's going on in the libraries up there? I don't know. We have all kinds of cool stuff. 
<laughs> All right. So, Jackson, what do you think of the plot and the screenplay for Silver Bullet? I love the screenplay and, uh, you know, adapted by Stephen King uh, of his own work. And like I said earlier, I read Cycle of the Werewolf in preparation for this episode, and it, it was awesome. It's a, it's a really short book. Um, I think it's what you could consider a novella. It actually, in the opening credits, calls it a novelette, which I had never heard of. But, um, yeah, it's a really engaging read. I read it in about two hours because it's, well, let me see, 128 pages, um, and some of those are pictures. But um, I, I think the reason that I enjoyed it so much is that it's told in a really interesting way. It sort of, it's, it sort of starts like an anthology novel with each month kind of following a different person because it started as a calendar. Anyway, that's getting off track. Um, but uh, in the final three chapters everything comes together like characters from other months interact and it all, all comes to a head in a really cool way um but the most striking thing to me reading the book um and knowing a little bit about the movie is how late marty who's our protagonist in silver bullet is introduced in the book i mean chapter one starts in january mm-hmm. so we're halfway through the book when we meet him in july um and his final character payoff isn't until december so it's really just like one facet of the of the plot and it's not necessarily the protagonist i would argue that the werewolf himself is the protagonist of the book um though marty yeah. is obviously the most memorable character anyways um and I have to warn you, I'll probably reference Cycle of the Werewolf quite a few more times because I did spend more time reading the book than actually watching the movie. <laughs> but I'm going to try to stick to discussing the movie as much as I can because that's what I'll be rating at the, the end of the episode, not the book. But um, yeah, great uh, adaptation of his book. It's very, very efficient. Um, which uh, is not something that I think of when I think of Stephen King. I do not think of efficient. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I like how condensed it is. I mean... And, and we'll get to this as we as we go through the plot, but like characters' deaths are more closely related with other characters. Like Brady becomes Marty's friend, and that becomes really close to other kills. And so, yeah, it's 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 really interesting how he adapted it and what Stephen King thought was important enough to bring to the big screen. Uh, so I, I, it kind of feels like uh, like the original Pet Cemetery in that regard. Um, but uh, yeah, I think this is the best he's ever been at really getting what's important from a story and bringing it onto the screen with no fat. Right. Cause typically, I mean, um, Greg, you've been a horror fan for a long time. I mean, so you, you've had some experience with this. Typically, if you're going to be faithful, really faithful to Stephen King, it takes like a mini series, right? Yeah. You'll, you'll have something like the one that I like to pick on is the graveyard shift. Mm-hmm. Which is your typical Stephen King, uh, you know, it's a short story, but it plays out like any of his books, just in a condensed form. And it would have been, and not to spoil the movie, but if you've seen Graveyard Shift, the ending, which is very <laughs> faithful, I mean, it's 100% faithful to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the common... Stephen King, the 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 monster, the villain, whatever, is a bit too big for the movie and needed to be dialed back. And Graveyard Shift is is the quintessential one for me. Um, but yeah, you'll have like the stand, you'll have Langoliers, you'll mm-hmm. have uh, Salem's Lot, all those miniseries that had that extra two, four, or even six hours to to tell that story, to span it out, and to you know, let you chew on the fat a little bit, but not too much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And but you know, of course, um, and Greg, I, I assume you saw it chapter two. Yes. 
And of course, the running joke in that is that, and it kind of goes with the movie, that King's endings typically suck. Mm-hmm. That because and and Stephen King notoriously does not do an outline. He just starts writing. He has no idea where he's going. And mm-hmm. sometimes that shows. Uh, and, you know, it's like, how do I you know, wrap this puppy up? But I actually think here in Silver Bullet that it's pretty, you know, I, I agree with you. There's a, you, yeah, you can argue it's a little cluttered at times. But I think overall for his work, it's more streamlined. And the ending works, even though I do have a question about the ending, but I think it works better than most King's works. What say you, Greg? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll agree. Because uh, some of the some of my favorites of King, like Christine, for instance, mm-hmm. it has a, just a great, I mean, it's probably because of John Carpenter, but it has a great ending. Yeah. And it, and it, it wraps it up nice and neat without going crazy or over the top like mm-hmm. you know you, you mentioned it it has that ending in the miniseries that had a lot of fans going i know that this is how it is in the book but come on you, you you couldn't have come up with anything better you yeah and and like, well it's Cooper, like and even the movie was like you know are, are you shooting for more endings than return of the king <laughs> <laughs> very true yeah i mean very true yeah jackson what do you think i mean is this do you think this is tight do you like the ending what do you think i do like the ending i think it is a little su- sudden and i do agree with greg that um i think there there is too much in this in this film one of the things i was writing as i was watching it is that i thought it felt a little too like quickly paced and that there's so much content and then we're at the climax and we're like all this stuff has happened and we're only like an hour 20 minutes in it's like holy crap there's so much to unpack here i think they probably could have paced it out a little bit more in this movie um and that's kind of how it is in the book too i mean you have all these chapters with all these people and then the last chapter is kind of just focused on marty and then it's over it ends right where the movie does so it's um it, it, I don't know. It does feel a little rushed at the end. Like he's like, okay, let's just tie it all together. Because then the last chapter in the December chapter of the book, he's like, oh, and all these people that you saw from before, they're still dead. And here's Marty killing the werewolf. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't. Well, know and, and to be fair, this both the novella and the screenplay were written during King's notorious cocaine and whiskey right. phase. So. <laughs> Like where he doesn't remember writing Cujo. Right, yes. <laughs> or even yes. directing Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> right. How do you write a 300-page book and direct a feature-length movie and not remember either of those events? That's a lot of drugs and whiskey. Yeah. yeah, so I can understand why it feels so cluttered and then it's over. You know, because he was just like in a manic binge of writing and then he's like, well, I'm out of ideas, let's publish it and make the movie. And how um, funny is it, Jackson, that... Rob Zombie is a teetotaler. He doesn't drink or do drugs, but Stephen King. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, Stephen King's how way I, more... How ironic way, is that? <laughs> his films are way more accessible <laughs> than, than Rob Zombie's, which is weird. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. But my question about the ending, because here's the thing. We do spoil this, folks, so... We get the ending. The film is narrated by the sister. And we'll talk about the actress here in a minute. But it, it, it's narrated by the sister. And then at the very end, after, you know, spoiler alert, we warned you, they kill the werewolf, you know, 
I don't know how they explained that mess to their parents when they got home from that quote unquote surprise vacation. But um, the sister goes, Marty, I love you. Is Marty dead? I wasn't always able to say that. But I can say it now. I love you too, Marty. Good night. That's what I was wondering. I was like, what is she? She says, Janie, who's the sister, she says, Marty, good night. Like at the end, I was like, what is she? Is this is this his eulogy at the funeral? She's telling yeah, the whole story about the werewolf. I'm wondering. I mean, Greg, did that ever strike you? It's like, is Marty dead? It, it, it's comical that you that you guys brought that up because the last thing I wrote in the notes was on the last. The, there's one last scare, which, again, we're spoiling right. it. So there's that scare. Then there's the the Marty joke. Are you okay, Marty? And he's like, "Well, I can't move my legs." <laughs> right. And you know, so it's a good little chuckle at the end. And yeah, then the narration, which starts the film, now ends the film, and we know that it's the sister. And that I even wrote it in quotes: "I love you, Marty. Good night." Like, and I'm like, "Is he dead?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what my question. And I've never heard anybody ask Stephen King that. It's like, wait, wait a minute. You know, what's mm-hmm. what's going on here? Because it feels like, and of course, it came out a year before Stand By Me, which mm. okay, I'm about to spoil Stand By Me, the movie, folks. If you've never seen it, shame on you. And fast forward 30 seconds. Of course, Richard Dreyfus is narrating that, and he talks about his buddy played by River Phoenix, that he's died. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that this whole thing is basically a eulogy for his character looking back on his life. And so I was like, it 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 feels just like that, doesn't it, Greg? Yeah. <laughs> Very much so. Because, you know, with that with the narration starting the movie, that's how you're thinking that this is, is that she's recalling the information, and then it's only solidified with that last line where it's like, uh, he must be dead. And that's, you know, <laughs> and we're and, not given and, and, anything else. And and we can talk about it because of the silver bullet. I, I wrote it silver bullet 2.0, which yeah. is the souped up silver bullet, which I mean, I'd be scared <laughs> to, to oh, ride on oh, that oh, thing. We're, we're going to talk about that. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, Jackson, what do you think? Is Marty dead? Is this a eulogy? Yeah, I think that's probably what it is i wrote my notes i was looking a little bit more optimistic that maybe she's telling a bedtime story to marty about what happened to marty oh Uh, i don't think so (laughs) but yeah it's probably probably eulogy imagine that'd be awkward standing in front of all your family members telling the story about how you killed a reverend and like that's what you're telling at the (laughs) funeral but uh yeah pretty pretty weird but it on a more dour note it's kind of rough to watch that now knowing what happened to Corey haim yeah. yeah, and that leads us to talk about the cast. And we will come back and talk about favorite scenes and the silver bullet and crazy uncle Gary Busey. But um, Corey Haim, oh boy. Um, okay, I don't want to speak ill of the dead. Rest in peace. But I had a few run-ins with Corey Haim in Uh-oh. Hollywood. <laughs> In the late 80s and 1990. And um, I'll hold my tongue. I do like him in this role. I did not like him as a person. Um, but, you know, he, he had his demons. So I 
you know, okay, in retrospect, the guy had problems, so I, I'll just leave it at that. We had a few run-ins at uh, what was called the Bat Lady parties uh, in 89, 90 in L.A., and, but, um, but he, he had issues, so both of the Corys did. Um, but I do like him in this role. I do like him as Marty. I'm not denying his talent. I think that his demons derailed, along with Corey Feldman, derailed um, their careers. Because I think there's a huge difference when you look at the two Corys in the 80s. And then after that, I think, I, I personally think Corey Feldman and like Bordello of Blood is is just god-awful. But anyway... Um, I do like Corey Haim as Marty in this movie, so I'll leave it there. Won't say anything more. Greg, what did you think of Corey Haim as Marty? I, he, yeah, you nailed it. I mean, he does a good job. I, I don't have the personal connections that you have, but yeah, there was a, a very big shift in the, the two Corys from the 80s to mm-hmm. the 90s. If it be right around License to Drive, yeah. I think was probably the last film that I actually cared about those guys right. being in. Right. Um, but I mean, this is this is this is classic Haim for Silver Bullet, and this was when Lucas. So yeah. So and know, that was, was solid. Still, I mean, in the I, I yeah. Would you say that? I mean, to give props, I don't I don't want to be negative. In the eighties, both the Corys I thought brought it. Yeah. Yeah, and you hate saying that they hit their peak at a young age. Yeah. And some of them, some actors, you know, let's look at the cast of the Goonies. So you have the ones that made it and the ones that didn't. And the ones that realized they weren't going anywhere, they chose a different career path and found success. Right, exactly. So, Jackson, what about you? What do you think of Corey Haim as Marty? Well, I think he's fantastic in this movie. And um, ju- just to do as a disclaimer to all the people that are probably fuming that you had bad experiences with Corey Haim, Lost Boys is one of your favorite movies of all time. It is. So it, it, you can't say you can't say he holds a grudge. Um, I, I know that's one of your no, favorite no, movies. No, from it, was, it was a personal thing. And right. I, and so and I will also recognize they had. You know, when you have addiction issues, that plays into it. So that may not have been the best version of that person. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I agree. And um, yeah, I, I, I love him also in, in Lost Boys. And I like License to Drive as well. Greg, you said License to Drive was the last one you were interested. If you ask my mom, Dream a Little Dream is his last great film in 89. Mom's on her there, but anyway, <laughs> yes, uh, and I'm, I'm guessing that neither of you are big Demolition High or Demolition University fans. No. Um, I, I don't think many people are. It's uh, Demolition High is a 37% on Rotten Tomatoes. But anyways, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I really like him as Marty in this movie. Yeah. I think he's fantastic and very sympathetic. Um, I really like his his um, dynamic with his sister. Um, at first, I kind of didn't like the sister. I was like, why is she ragging on poor old Marty? Uh, but eventually, she becomes a little bit more sympathetic, and I actually found my, myself fearing for her life in that scene with the shed. But, um, yeah, I, I again, I think Corey Haim does a fantastic job really bringing Marty to life uh, from the screenplay because he could be an annoying kid character that you don't sympathize with, just screaming high-pitched and, you know, whatever. <laughs> but 
but I really like. I think he he sells the emotions in relating to Uncle, um, to his uncle Gary Busey, which I guess is what we're gonna call him for the rest of this episode. Yep. And um, and to his sister and even his parents. I th- I think he does a good job. And honestly, this might be his best technically his best role. I think his best performance. It might be. Yeah. I mean, I. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean. Greg brought up, brought up Lucas. Lucas is a really good movie and he's very good in it. Um, but yeah, this, this may be up there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what, what, yeah, Greg, you're the one who brought up Lucas, but I, I do think that's a really good movie and he's really good in it. Yeah. I mean, having not seen it in a while, I can't really make the comparison, but I mean, they're both right, right out of the gate. He was just bringing his yeah. game and he was one to watch. And sadly, as you said, his demons got the best of him. Yeah, unfortunately, you, you see that. You think that, you know, both Corys, what what could they have been if they hadn't, you know, had their dalliance with substance abuse and so forth? They 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 both I think both of them could have been great actors, honestly. And yeah, um, yeah it's it's unfortunate. But um, but speaking of somebody who were all surprised is still alive. Gary Busey. Um, (laughs) uh, Wow. As uncle red, um, Gary Busey as uncle red, Greg, what do you think of Gary Busey as uncle red? He he's, he's an American treasure. He's an icon all on his own. I mean, I have a soft spot for Gary Busey and I wish I knew as much as so, I mean, so many people just admire him and I'm in the, like the less, the lower part because I don't know enough about Busey, but I mean, any of his, any of his movies, he's, he's just worth watching to see. He's just entertaining whether it's a serious role, a comedic role, he's just Gary Busey. He's his own entity. But, but you know, and the amazing thing is, it, typically we think of him as playing crazy characters, but you look at some of his performances, like in Lethal Weapon. Yeah. You know, for like probably 70% of that performance, he's pretty restrained. Under Siege. Yeah, absolutely. He's, I mean, he's, just... he's he's a bad he's a bad man. Yeah, he's a little loose around the edges, but he's 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 dark. He's dark. He brings it right. I mean, mm-hmm. he's a, the guy can't act. I mean, he may be bat crap crazy, but he can't act. Point break. Point break. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, Jackson, I love Gary Busey in general. Uh, I, I really like him in this movie. I think with stuff like I love him in Point Break, but I think he's a little bit more on the crazy end in that one. That we're introduced to him in Point Break, he's like he's like swimming in the pool and he's got his big dad <laughs> dad bod hanging out. He's slobbering. He's he's a crazy guy. But I think in this one, he acts like a normal human being. He's got something to relate to. I don't know. Well, he's a, like, he's kind of a lovable redneck, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I he, but you feel the the uh, the bond he has with his nephew. I mean, when when Marty comes back on the silver bullet and he's collapsed in the driveway of fright and anxiety that he's going to crash it. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, if you ever crash that thing, I'll, I'll die. You know, you, yeah. you really feel that he does care about his his uh, nephew. He's willing to go to the police. He's willing to go to Terry O'Quinn with this crazy story about a werewolf 
on his on his nephew's uh uh good word and i guess the yeah. dent in his silver bullet as well that didn't that didn't hurt but uh yeah he he's um yeah he's very sympathetic very normal he is a little bit crazy i mean who makes what is essentially a motorcycle for your like 13 year old 14 year old disabled uh, okay nephew. okay this has come up twice let's go ahead and address <laughs> it yes that there is no way i mean <laughs> Greg, you often call into LOTC on the road. There is no way that thing is street legal, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. And I mean, it's been a while since I've looked up the legalities, but I. You're out on the road all the time, buddy. I mean, you're yeah. you're out doing your job, which is a dangerous job, by the way. And thank you for it. But you're out on the road all the time. If you saw some like. 14 13 year old kid in this thing like flying by you at 40 miles an hour what would you think i'd be i'd be scared <laughs> i really would that's one of those that's one of those where you just hope that you you just lift your foot off the pedal and you just let your vehicle slow down on its own and you just grab the wheel with both hands and you just hope that they don't cause any kind of an incident in front of you because <laughs> You Woo. just take a, you just, yeah, oh yeah, but wow. have I seen it? Sadly, yeah. I mean, <laughs> really, <laughs> not 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 a scooter like that, but I mean, I've seen kids on you know motorcycles that are way too fast for what they should be able to do, and um, four wheelers, snowmobiles. Welcome to Ohio. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. A funny one with a vehicle. I was on a construction site and the farmer came out and said, Hey, um, just to let you guys know, somebody tried to steal your guys as a, um, Bobcat. And, and I, it wasn't my job. I was there to monitor the gas line and this construction crew goes, Oh, okay. And the farmer took them to where it was. Whoever was trying to steal this Bobcat didn't realize that there's drainage, uh, creeks throughout the farm field and, dumped this thing right into a creek um so they actually ended up finding the guy because they it was in the dead of winter and they just followed his and they just followed his foot tracks oh my god <laughs> yeah well uh, welcome to ohio so. welcome to ohio and 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 folks if you don't know especially greg you know now greg and and jackson both are in what is considered northern ohio um I'm in Southern Ohio, which is considered Appalachia and Appalachia. You know, when I started practicing law here, somebody told me, said, you know what the most famous last words in Appalachia are? I said, no. He said, hey, watch this. <laughs> um, <laughs> Hold my beer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I, you know, Gary Busey, I, yeah, he is crazy. Um, all you have to do is go to Gilbert Gottfried's podcast and listen to him try <laughs> to interview Gary Busey, which went nowhere. Um, but, you know, to be fair, Gary Busey had a pretty traumatic motorcycle accident and he had he had brain damage. I mean, he really did. Um, and that kind of impresses me that after that, he played roles like Lethal Weapon and Point Break, break and and so forth. Um but this role is like tailor made for him, is it not? As the crazy uncle, I mean Jackson. I mean, this is this is written for Gary Busey, crazy uncle in a you know backwoods area. 
How better for Gary Busey? Yes, this is this is absolutely written for him, especially holy jumped up bald headed Jesus Palomino. (laughs) That is a line that's made specifically for Gary Busey. Yeah. Greg, you disagree? No, I don't disagree at all. The movie was, yeah, the, his role was Uncle Red, and he plays a great Uncle Red. Yes, absolutely. So we come to, and I cannot believe this is her full name, believe it or not, as Jane or Janie, as um, Corey Haim calls her, Megan Elizabeth Laura Diana Follows. Yep. That's a heck of a name. Um, As Jane or Janie, the older sister, didn't do a whole lot after this on screen, um, but did do a lot of theater and, to her credit, has done a lot of charity work. Um, What do we think of Megan Elizabeth Lord Diana Follows, Greg? What do you think? Uh, You know, as as it sounds, I was a fan of Megan Follows. Mm -hmm. She was Anne from Anne of Green Gables. Oh, that's right. And, and, and yeah, and the whole Anne series, Anne of Green Gables, Anne of Avonlea. And, you know, growing up, I had two sisters that were younger than me, and they thoroughly enjoyed watching those. And so I saw a lot more of her as Anne of Green Gables than I did <laughs> of her being pursued by a werewolf. So... Yep. (laughs) Jackson, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I think she's good in this movie. And as I said, I was I was a little down on her early on because she's just like, Marty, you're just a cripple. And I was like, oh, come on, cheer up a little bit. And the mom, I was with the mom. She was like, you're always on Marty's case. And I was like, yeah, mom, tell her. But then we get to the part where she starts believing Marty, and I was like, okay, she's not so bad after all. Um, like in that scene where she's in the she's in the what do you what, what even is that? It's like a a shed with a bunch of cans mm-hmm. in it at the church, mm-hmm. and yeah. she finds the peacemaker baseball bat yes. too. And then she turns around. The music is swelling as he's like, "You you want a drink or or maybe I can take give you a ride home?" And you're like, "Get out what? of there now!" And she does yes. the right thing. Um, and yeah, yes, very creepy. And, uh, I, I, I was endeared to her a little bit there. Uh, and by the end, when they share that moment at the end, I think that's really nice. I, again, con- confusing ending with the narration, but, uh, yeah, I, I liked her more and more as the movie went on. I think she does a good job, not quite to the same level of, of impressiveness as Corey Haim being as young as he was and delivering such a great performance, something that really stood out to me. Whereas I think she just served the movie well, um, and I think that's well, what you need. You I, don't need a bombastic, I, I, like, show-stopping performance. So in that I, regard, she does a good job. I think you're right up until I think I really do. That uh, garage scene or whatever you want to talk about, and we're going to talk about Everett McGill here in a second, I think she's excellent in that scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mm-hmm. agree. And you, you do, you see the terror. The, it's like the blood is, is, is draining from her face as yeah. she realizes the gravity of what that eye patch means. Yeah, absolutely. I love that scene. And we'll we'll talk about favorite scenes later, but oh man, I love that scene. But that leads us to Everett McGill as Reverend Lowe. Um, Greg, what do you think of Everett McGill as Reverend Lowe? <laughs> I think he he he's creepy, but he plays yeah. you know, with how with how the werewolf character is, how the reverend reverend character is is there's two sides of him and we mm-hmm. see that throughout the movie and 
you know, there's the good reverend side, and then he's haunted by his dreams, which is a terrifying scene. And but he in that scene with the shed, he is pure creepy. Or when yes. he's or when he's when he's creeping up on Marty, you know, and he's mm. sitting in his car and Marty's oblivious watching his friends play baseball, and it's just like, what? Yeah. And then he's and then he's trying to run him down. And then the bridge scene, and yes. he's talking to Marty. It's like Oh, your skin starts to crawl because you're like, oh my gosh, Marty, you know, can't go anywhere. And fortunately, oh. he does escape, but oh yeah. And oh. and it's all and it's all with his performance. And and right. it's it goes back to because this is what um I personally love about Stephen King, because he was raised in a religious home. Greg, you've got a religious background. I obviously do because I'm still a pastor, but he, he makes that statement. It's like, you know, it, it, he basically talks about, he, it, he doesn't say it, but he implies it. They're like, well, I can't commit suicide. So what mm -hmm. do you expect me to do? Right. I mean, that's where he sees himself. He's like, yeah, I'm a werewolf. You know, it's terrible, but you know, he tries to justify it, especially with the, and we'll talk about this later, you know, when he attacks that woman on the second floor, it's like, well, she was going to mm -hmm. commit suicide. I saved her soul, you know, but but I can't commit suicide myself. That's a sin. It, it, he's just, you know, he's creepy, but you kind of feel for the guy. Mm -hmm. Am yeah. I wrong? No. And he and, you know, he's 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 using his werewolf, uh, if you will, to, you know, to to feed or to be not feed yeah. but you know to to prey on those that are having a harder time or might be uh, the weaker side of society so with the first person being the drunkard railway right. worker you know it's and, his and Brady's kind of a brat and yeah, and Brady's you know. kind of a brat and then the the girl's father you know who's abusive and we don't right. see it, but you can just experience it. So, yeah, well, he's, he's certainly he's, prejudiced, right? He's like, oh, those oh, yeah. blankety blank, you know, <laughs> handicaps always end up on the welfare. And he's mm -hmm. home in the middle of the day drinking a beer. Mm -hmm. Right. And he's like, oh, well, you're a hypocritical jerk. And, and so, yeah, there 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 is that. I mean, it's just but yeah, you're right. Everett McGill, man, he can do creepy. Um Jackson, what do you think of Everett McGill? Oh, well, I have a lot to say about Everett McGill. I love him in this movie. He's so creepy, but he does. He is sympathetic at points. Um, and yeah, there is that inner yeah, conflict that you're talking about. Right. I mean, it's like yeah. you can argue that he's wrong, but from mm -hmm. his worldview, right, he's he, he he's stuck between a rock and a hard place if you accept his worldview. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There's a there's a passage in the in the book. Um, where it's it here? I'll just read a, a quick passage here. It says, I'm a man of God, he thinks, getting up and beginning to pace, walking faster and faster in the quiet parlor. I'm a man of God and I will not kill myself. I do good here. And if I sometimes do evil, why men have done evil before me? Evil serves the will of God. And then later he says, all things serve the will of God. Uh, shall I make inquiries? Wow. Uh, when God w seeks to take, to bring me down, he will bring me down in his time. So if, from his viewpoint, if God wants the werewolf to not start to keep killing people, wow. God will bring him down. 
So he sees himself kind of as like an agent of God, um, which is an interesting, I've never heard of that before, as a werewolf seeing being a werewolf as a holy like duty. Um, it's very interesting. Jack but, and I um, think there's a screenplay there, buddy. Yes, yes, maybe we need to follow up on this. Yep. Yes, explore this a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I love his performance in this. I will say, though, the identity of the werewolf is really telegraphed. I mean, you have to be really <laughs> dense to not know that it's him. I mean, yeah, every, there's not, every shot. Yeah, this isn't exactly, yeah, this isn't exactly the greatest who done it. Yeah, but. No. Like every, like we get, um, every shot we get to the guilty party looks super suspect. I mean, he's very stone-faced at the funeral, suspiciously rugged looking for a, for a reverend. That's just in the beginning. Everett McGill. And I know he's worked with David Lynch, right? Oh, quite a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he is one of those guys that seems like he would. He's got that kind of creepy. He's got a very unique look to him. He's very creepy. Um, so he's perfect for like Twin Peaks and the straight story or whatever. Straight story, not as much creepy. But um, no. anyways. Straight story um, is basically a Disney movie. But it's a great yeah. movie. But he is he is great in Twin Peaks. But he was also in Doom. Mm, that's and interesting. Andy was in uh, People Under the Stairs. Yes, which we are. Yes, People Under so, the Stairs. Which, so back to creepy. <laughs> yes, which we plan on covering with Gilman Joel in the fall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. All right, Jackson. Um, other than Reverend's never, you know, looking rugged. Um, <clears throat> uh, what else about Everett McGill? Uh, well, I don't know. It seems like they, they kind of. It's not really a whodunit. You said it's not a very good whodunit. No. But I don't know that it's trying to be, because they do reveal, like, in the second act, that it's him, right? Like, we see that shot mm-hmm. of, of uh, well, you get walking. Yeah, and you get the nightmare. And, right. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, so it's not really trying to be who, a whodunit. I think you might get that impression from like the the synopsis, which is like something is killing the people. Well, nobody knows who it is. It's like, right. well, we know who it is. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is how the, how are they going to stop it? What's this kid going to do to stop this beast? That's the point of the story. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, and the I, funny I, thing about all of this is Stephen mm-hmm. King considers himself a christian and his daughter is a minister mm-hmm. and yet in his books you think about yeah. the mist and this yes <laughs> it's always the christians that are the bad guys yeah it's that like, is weird. man and Stephen's even, had Stephen for a churchgoer has got a really bad experience with pastors yes. dude <laughs> yeah and even people like randall flag is very minister like he preaches yeah. to masses of of yeah so he does have something against i think he has more something against like the the old authority i think he has a problem with that more i so don't know but like i said religion. his own daughter is a minister so i don't know right. what's going on there so yeah, maybe we need to check in on Steven. Say, Steven, <laughs> so what happened, Steven? What's you going want to on, talk? buddy? Yeah, do you need to talk? Yeah, I love Everett McGill. I loved him in Twin Peaks. I loved him in everything. Um, best villain Steven Seagal ever faced. Uh, <laughs> so, Under Siege 2. Um, but, of course, with the cast, we have to talk, if nothing else, in deference to Gilman Joel, we've got to talk about Terry O'Quinn as the mm-hmm. sheriff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Greg, what do you think of Terry O'Quinn as a sheriff? I, th- I think he, I think he was excellent. And at first I didn't even recognize him and mm-hmm. I, I saw the name and I'm like, okay. And then at one point I'm like, okay, where's Terry O'Quinn? Because I'm familiar with the, the more of the lost look right. of Terry O'Quinn. And sure enough, then all of a sudden it, it's his confrontation with the reverend, 
or or actually probably when uh, Uncle Red goes to talk to him, yeah. where that's when I see the Terry O'Quinn that I'm more familiar with. And then it's like a flush, a, a, a flood of memories of his other roles. But I think he yeah, I think he did good as I don't want to say an inept sheriff, but a sheriff that might be overwhelmed with mm-hmm. with uh, the vigilante justice that's going throughout the town. Well, that and I, I'm pretty sure that no sheriff in this town has ever had to deal with a serial killer. Right. I well, mean, this yeah. is a guy who, who's dealing with, you know, parking tickets and speeding tickets. And that's about probably the extent <laughs> of what he's dealing with, you know, in Tarker's Mill or Tarkin's Mill or whatever it's called. So, um, Jackson, what do you think? I love him and everything that we, that I've seen so far. Um, he is good in this. I think he has less to do, but he's still good. Um, you know, having seen uh, the stepfather and Tombstone and Young Guns yeah. relatively recently, I recognized him right away um, because I've seen a lot of the stuff from the '80s and '90s recently. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I he definitely has one of the most memorable scenes when he confronts a reverend. Um, and that's the transformation when we finally see the transformation. But, uh, yeah, he's just really fun. I like that scene he has with Gary Busey where he's like, you know, you sound crazy, right? And Gary Busey's like, yep, <laughs> look into it, though, will you? <laughs> I like that scene. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to shake the stepfather, seeing him has kind of a menacing, kind of like not all there kind of guy. But uh, in these last couple movies I've seen him in, he's been very sympathetic. So I guess I'm starting to be won over to his his new persona. I, man, I think he's amazing in every role. Um, even before Gilman became a Patreon supporter, I listed <laughs> Terry O'Quinn in my top 10 of all time performances in a horror movie for The Stepfather, mm-hmm. uh, which we covered with, with uh, Joel. He is incredible, and he deserved more work. I mean, why did not that guy not get more, you know, really large roles? Because he's obviously talented. I mean, am I wrong, Greg? No, you're not wrong at all. And I always, I always kind of wonder why some of these actors have don't get those roles that they deserve, yeah. but they really bring it to the roles that are given to them. Absolutely, Jackson. What do you think? Yeah, I agreed. I I loved Harry O'Quinn, and I was I was thinking the same thing. I was like, he hasn't really done much. I felt like other than the stepfather, but I'm looking at his IMDb. It seems like he's been pretty consistently. Uh, yeah, but working. it's a I lot mean, of it's a lot of TV, TV and theater. Right. Not a, he, right. What, I, what I mean, he deserves more feature films, don't you yeah. think? I agree, and but maybe he just wants to do TV. There are some people who are more comfortable with that. I know he's on. He was on Star Trek. He's on Lost. Um, but oh, he um, was amazing on Lost. And mm-hmm. by the way, we'll get to here just in a second. The director of this film directed a couple of episodes of Lost. Hmm. I don't know. I, I think he could definitely still bring it uh, as a uh, in a feature film. I'd love to see him do horror again. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm I'm happy that he's he's at least working in some way. There is there are so many actors that from the 80s and 90s are have very very impressive like a few feature roles that are very impressive and then they just disappeared and we talked about that uh in films uh that we've discussed these past couple episodes um sometimes due to a curse perhaps um as we as we discussed a little bit um in a, in a previous episode but anyways yeah he's great and everything i see him in i would like to see him do more but uh, i don't know maybe he's content doing tv so what you're saying is that in five years when you direct your first feature 
you will audition mm-hmm. Terry O'Quinn, right? Yes, I yes, I will say, uh, Mr. Terry O'Quinn, I loved you so much in The Stepfather, <laughs> and he will say, I get that a lot. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the director, um, Dan. I think it's, I, I don't know how to pronounce this, Ateas, maybe, A-T-T-I-A-S. He is also known mostly for TV work, including, like I said, Lost and a lot of episodes of Alias. But he does a lot of of, um, network TV stuff, but not a lot of features. Um, Greg, you know, I've heard you. You've taken film classes. What do you think of this guy's work? Um, Well, let's just look at the just Silver Bullet. I think that he did a good job orchestrating uh, silver bullet. I think he made some smart choices. Um, is speaking of the movie, it's kind of, uh, when I view it, it's, it's, it gives weird. It's just weird. I don't, I, I, and I'd like to, maybe there's a special feature to figure out his aesthetic choices, but I, I even wrote down uh, yeah, that there's well, yeah, this tonal speak, shift. Yeah. Go ahead. Talk, talk well, about that. That's interesting. Well, the, that there's just this tonal shift. And not like with what's the action or anything, but with the lighting, the coloring and all that, where when they when you start learning about like just film genres and how horror is usually darker in the shadows, very atmospheric. And we see that in this. But then there's also where there's so much ambient light that you can see Mm, everything on the screen. And they usually do that for more comedic movies or more, you know, dramas where, you know, right. like a like a rom-com. I shouldn't say drama, but more like, uh, you know, a, a, a buddy film or those movies where you don't want the audience to miss anything. And, you know, so the, the like a comedy where it's lighthearted and you see that in this movie and it's just weird. Mm. And it's just this it's it's just a, gives you this as this odd feeling. And maybe it was just because it was 1986 and that's just what was going on at the time. I Could it also uh, be like because the guy's done so much TV. Do you think that's just where he's more comfortable? Because I he, do think it yeah. kind of feels like a TV movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, like here's an instance when Marty, after a key moment against the werewolf, he's flying home on the silver bullet, and for some reason, I mean, it literally looks like there's a floodlight on the road. It is so yeah. bright. Yeah, and and there's nothing wrong with it. That's what's weird. That's that's why I get this weird. Well, this but weird you feeling. could do the. I hear what you're saying because you could. You could do the John Carpenter Halloween thing, right? Where it's kind of mm-hmm. backlit and it's kind of, you you know what I mean? You kind of do yeah. the dimmer lights where it's, it, you can tell it's night. It's not a weird lighting thing. I get that. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I, I think that he did a good job as a, as a director. Um, I, I probably should have looked at his record a little bit more. Because yeah, I would be interested to, to see... Yeah, he didn't do a lot of features. He did a lot of TV. He's done a lot of. I mean, he's still working. I mean, the guy's done okay a crap ton of uh, of TV. So the guy is still, you know, pulling in the paychecks. Um, but not a lot of features after this. And it may have something to do with that. What we haven't talked about is this had a seven seven million dollar budget, and it only made twelve point four 
million. And of course, the conventional thinking in Hollywood is mm -hmm. a $7 million production budget means a $7 million marketing budget, which means it lost money. Mm -hmm. Which means, you know, you're not going to, you know, if you, you take your crapshoot on a first film and you lose a lot of money, especially with somebody as notorious as Dino De Laurentiis, <laughs> you, you know, you probably aren't going to work again. But Jackson, what did you think? Well, a couple things, and I'm surprised you guys didn't mention this. Greg, you were talking about how um, a lot of the scenes looked different visually. Um, I'm going to have to give a little background here. Uh, I'm going to read you here from the Wikipedia page, and this will all build to something. Um, <clears throat> King asked for the werewolf to be plain and hard to see, blah, 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 blah. Right. Dino De Laurentiis didn't like this, and neither did director Don Coscarelli of Phantasm, <gasps> what? Who, actually, who actually was the first director of the film who, quote, filmed the non-werewolf scenes without knowing what would happen with the werewolf suit. So because Laurentiis... I did not know that. Hot take. Go ahead. Don Coscarelli shot the non-werewolf scenes in the film uh, because he... And then after all of that conflict, uh, the rest of the filming went to... Uh, Atias, or uh, what, however you say that guy's yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. Right. So um, that's why it looks different. And I was thinking in that that those scenes where uh, the sister is pushing the shopping cart full of cans, it's really white, really washed out, kind of looks mm -hmm. like Phantasm. So there you yeah. go. Coscarelli was attached wow. and shot several shots from this movie. Wow. I did mind, not mind, know that. Mind blown. Mind is blown. Oh, uh, so. me too, Greg. <laughs> I did not know that. Wow. Man. Okay. So, all right. So what do you think, though, of the final product as an aspiring director, Jackson? Mm -hmm. What do you think? I think it. I think it's good. I think it's. Um, like I said earlier, I think there are some pacing issues, but again, that comes down to King's script more than anything. Um, and I, but I think the directing work is really good. The the visual style is very cozy. This is a very cozy '80s movie. Um, I like the way it looks. Uh, but uh, yeah, definitely, definitely very interesting that it came out as uh, as good as it as it did. When there were two directors and De, De Laurentiis were and King were feuding over what the werewolf should be like, it's a wonder this thing came out. Uh, wow. as, as good as it did. We'll, we will get to creature effects here in just a second, but yeah, absolutely, yeah. But you you think that okay? So this yeah that this is a hot take. I didn't know this. So mm -hmm. you know Daniel Atias or Atias or whatever is coming in as a replacement. Mm-hmm. Does that kick this up for you? Do you are you like, oh man, yeah, that's a tough, or you're thinking, nah, he just phoned. What do you think? I, I think it's impressive. I think it is. A, I always find it impressive. I always find that the 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 movies with the strongest turnout are usually the ones with the most troubled production. We talk about this time and time again, whether it's Evil Dead, you know, mm -hmm. pretty much every Sam Raimi movie has a troubled behind Well, the scenes. I mean, the most notorious is Casablanca. Casablanca right. was a notoriously you know, yes. a terrible set and everybody and rewriting all the time. And it turns out to be one of the greatest movies of all time. So yeah. And yeah Jaws, and, and Jaws as well. Right. Yes, I, Jaws and Texas it. Chainsaw. Yeah. Both and, of those well, films but, had very troubled productions. Well, but we, because Greg and you and I talked about Jaws and I told you the story about meeting Steven Spielberg and how he's still embarrassed 
you know, mm-hmm. about Jaws and how painful that was. And it's like, but it's a masterpiece. But it was like, they're rewriting the scenes. I mean, it's like the Indianapolis speech, you know, they write it. John Milius rewrites it. Robert Shaw rewrites it again, <laughs> you uh-huh. know, and, and then you get one of the greatest scenes ever out of that. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not saying that Silver Bullet is Jaws or Casablanca, but I'm just saying <laughs> that I, in knowing now, and I did not know that, Jackson, that this guy came in at the last mm-hmm. minute to try to get this movie done. That's pretty impressive to me. Yep. And a couple other things. I don't know if you know this. The werewolf was recast as well. Like the actual person in the suit was recast. So it really what? is a wonder. Yeah. Uh, but we can talk All about right. that really quick. We, we need, no, no. We need to hear about this now. Who was, what okay. was, what was going on there? Is so, this like a Jean-Claude Van Damme predator thing? What's going yes, on? It essentially is. Uh, a dancer was hired to be the the werewolf, but okay. De Laurentiis didn't like what it looked like when the dancer was in the suit. So Everett McGill. What it looked like? He, he yeah, did, so Everett McGill played the werewolf. Yes, he stepped in to, to actually be inside the suit. So when you see the wow. werewolf, it's actually Everett McGill. So, uh, yeah, lots of rehiring, lots of turmoil behind the scenes. And, of course, this was an on-and-off thing for Stephen King. I mean, he wrote the book, and then he was on to other projects, and then he came back to this. So, really, it's a wonder this movie got made and turned out as good as it did. But, um, yeah, very, very impressive um, and yes, different director, different actors. It's crazy. Don Coscarelli. Wow. I, I'm, yeah, I'm with you, Greg. Mind blown. I did not know any of that. <laughs> and I don't know how many times I have seen this movie. So, whoo. All right. Let's talk about favorite scenes. Um, I'll go first to give you guys a minute to think, but I, absolutely love when i say love it scared the crap out of me when i was a kid (laughs) i love the scene where stella who is preparing to commit suicide is attacked in her second story bedroom that freaked me out werewolves don't need to be welcomed in like vampires right i mean they (laughs) just they're just feral creatures and they attack and i remember watching that you know, as a 14 year old kid and just being like, uh, 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 okay, you know, that, that to me was, I thought that was an amazing scene, but let's talk about your guys' favorite scenes. Greg, do you have a favorite scene in Silver Bullet? Um, yeah, I'm going to go with, uh, of course I, I forgot to write down the gentleman's name, but it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I wrote it down as the greenhouse death. Oh yeah, it's 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 the 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 demise that you spoke of is definitely creepy. Yeah. But this this one for me is just you know the guy's getting what he deserves kind of a feeling. Yeah. And when again, n- spoil all away, he gets pulled from underneath the floor. So ah. the werewolf blasts up from the floor and then uh-huh. pulls him down and he gets punctured by the floorboard and the blood is like super red. So it, yeah, it's, you know, it's intense, 
but you 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 feel bad but at the same hand you're kind of like trying not to clap too loud yeah because <laughs> you know he was so he was so mean and nasty to marty and and, yeah. and being negative about you know the 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 cripples is the word he uses and it's just like he needs to get it bad and and then he does and it's like okay i'm cool i'm i'm good with this this is good and there's some and there's some other scenes that are just you know, they're not as good for me, but they're definitely like that quintessential silver bullet. But I'm not going to take any thunder from from Jackson. So, oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I would I <laughs> I have a back deck, <laughs> elevated <laughs> back deck. And yeah, that has crossed my mind when I, you know, gone out there, you know, early in the morning. So, Jackson, what about you? What's your favorite scene, buddy? Well, I have that written down as one of my favorite scenes, the scene in the greenhouse. Mm -hmm. And the way I wrote it in my notes was, I love the death of the ableist WWF loving dad in the greenhouse. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And I love that scene where he's like, yeah, we're going to get him tonight. He's like sitting down with his beer watching wrestling. I'm like, oh boy, this guy. Goodness. But um, it's interesting to me, that character, like in name only, pretty much, he's a character from Cycle of the Werewolf. Um, Though he's actually the one that the werewolf beheads in the book instead of the rail maintenance guy from oh, the beginning who was invented for the movie. Not bad. Okay. Yep. Same name. Um, in the in the book, he is abusing his wife, not his daughter. Um, but he gets beheaded by the werewolf. Um, but yeah, when he gets pulled down to the floor, and it's just like he's being pulled deeper, and it's just going in slower and slower. You're like, ugh. And it looks so real. It doesn't look like he's just stabbing a pillow. It looks really, really convincing. But uh, yeah, that's a great scene. But another another one of my favorite scenes. Um, well, okay, I guess I've got three. Uh, I really, really like the part where um, Marty is fleeing from the from the uh, werewolf with the rock in his eye, and the synth yeah. score is just pounding. It's just piercing. <laughs> I love that scene. And then he climbs back up through his, and he it's very really impressive when he climbs into his window. He pulls himself up, hoists himself up on that metal railing and through his window. Um, but yeah, yeah, I love that scene. Corey and Haynes' my, character had some upper body strength, obviously. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. Pulls himself into that <laughs> yeah. tree. Pulls yeah. himself up the. Yeah, absolutely. He's very capable. Um, um, and then my favorite scene in the entire film is when the guy wanders into the bar. Kent Broadhurst is the name of the actor. He wanders into the bar. Has anyone seen my son? And oh, then we cut. Then we cut to Terry oh. O'Quinn in the park, oh. and he's praying, just muttering. Yeah. He's, his, his eyes are glazed over. The dad comes in. And Terry O'Quinn tries to hold him back, but he knows in his heart that he can't. He's got to let him see. Uh, the dad goes over. He pulls up the, you know, the raincoat or whatever is covering the body, and just lets out this shock and terror scream, this 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 blood chilling cry. Oh, man, and that's yeah. the most that's the most genuine emotion in the entire film. It's so heartbreaking. And then later in that scene with the private justice scene. You see, he's got the black band of mourning around his arm, and he's yeah. really chewing out the the sheriff there. And man, that guy is great. Um, they just delivers a great performance. And I saw an interview of him um, talking about Silver Bullet. He seems to really enjoy working on it. But um, I haven't seen him, him in anything else, as far as I know. He's just a working actor. But um, yeah, that is my favorite scene in the movie. It's just heartbreaking, and I think that's the scariest it gets because you just you don't even see the body. Oh, but just that, know it. It, it, it gets real there. Yeah. And there's the kite, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. The kite. And, and just, and the way he describes it later, 
pieces. He's like my boy uh. pieces. Just terrifying. That is definitely the heights of of uh, terror in that film. Um, and yeah, that's my favorite scene. You because you, I was going to ask you guys. I mean, if it wasn't for scenes like this, you could say this was gateway horror. But no, those scenes are brutal. No, oh, yeah. yeah, definitely. And it start it starts off that way. Yeah, I mean, let's just I I, I wrote be down heady, the note. Right? I wrote down the note. Yeah, I mean it. it at first, you kind of chuckle, but then it it just continues to go, and then you see the the insects on top of it. Oh, the like like hereditary, right? Yeah. That reminded me of yeah. that. Yeah, like and so the narration continues to go on, and it's like it's like this. That's crazy. This is intense, and it starts out with that intense tone right from there. That yeah, it's light, but it's not as light as what you think it's going to be. No, I agree, Greg. Now, I now agree. did you recognize that actor? The yes, yes. What's his name? James? Is it? Ah, uh, yep. oh, you're on it. You got his first name, James. James Gammon or something like that. That's it. That's uh, it. James yeah, Gammon. And he's been in everything. Yeah. And he's uh, the one that I recognized him from, which is why I had to look it up, was because he was in Major League. Yeah, he was the manager in Major League. Yeah. He was yep. also the bartender in any which way you can, which yeah. if the guys from Real Talk, I, I called out the guys from Real Talk because yeah, they were making fun of I haven't even seen it. And they haven't even seen it, and they were making Crazy. fun of any which way you can. I said, yeah, oh. So I sent a message to Wes, and Wes was like, well, I haven't seen it. And I was like, well, then shut up. <laughs> Don't you dare badmouth Clint. Don't you but, dare badmouth that. And isn't, isn't that role, isn't his role in the beginning uh, so Stephen King, the rail yes. operator muttering yeah. to himself? That is so Stephen King about beer singing the jingle. I was like, that's so Stephen King. And it's not even in the book. That was something that Stephen King wrote for the screenplay. But I was like, that's just classic stream of <laughs> yeah, consciousness King right there. Mm -hmm. I love it. But it's one of the things that makes Stephen King Stephen King, having grown up in a small town and paid attention to the dialogue and the people and so forth. That's what makes it so relatable to so mm -hmm. much of America. It was like when I, you know, I grew up reading Stephen King. And then when I moved to Hollywood, it was like nobody read Stephen King. And I was like, well, you just don't get it. <laughs> right. Because, that you know, this is this is what the rest of America's like, folks. I mean, I hate to tell you, but he really dials into that. So. All right. Let's talk about the technical aspects. We can talk about the makeup, the editing, the cinematography, the score. Um, I will say that the vigilante hunting scene with the obvious smoke machine fall yeah. <laughs> um, wasn't, as, wasn't as strong. But other than that, other than that, I like it. Like, you know, and, and Greg, you brought this up. The scene where Reverend Lowe confronts Marty in the covered bridge, I thought was really well shot. I thought mm -hmm. that was strong. But all right, thoughts. Greg, what are your thoughts on the technical aspects of Silver Bullet? I think it's a technically proficient film. Mm -hmm. uh, you you did point out the 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 fog machine, which is yeah, yeah. A, a little uh, you know slap on your face, but you it, but it, they played it out very well. Obviously, yeah. it's too. Let's just let's just call it out the best movie ever, Jaws. So yes. without seeing the werewolf, now you you know he's underneath the water, he's underneath the fog, he's attacking all these individuals. And 
and it's 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 vigilante justice backfiring. Um, I think the cinematography, even though I I did say that it was a little across the board of yeah. very bright, but now with us learning the information of the uh, yeah director, right, I didn't know now, that either. Wow! Now it kind of sadly it really bumped up the movie for me because now it makes uh, the aesthetic choices uh, wise because of just how his. Coscarelli visions always are like you said, dreamy and 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 war and and light and yes. it's kind of like well yeah that's Don Coscarelli this is this just bumped it up <laughs> and, yeah uh, um, yeah you the, can't help the but 80s, feel for the guy who came in right I mean yeah the the 80s music I was trying to make good notes on that but I just couldn't it, the synth pop and and all that was 1986 and it was. I, it's it's like a warm fuzzy blanket, I suppose. It's just yeah. you know takes you back. And then I, I wanted to write down the lyrics of the of the final song because that just that's <laughs> just that's just eighties gold there. So yes, it is. Um, uh, I think that uh, the editing was good. I I agree with Jackson Jackson when he said that uh, could have been a little bit tighter. Things could have been maybe slightly we were reworked, mm-hmm. but. I, I think it's I think it's there. Um, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I think the movie's just going to continue on and on, and it'll find a, a fan base and continue on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Jackson, what do you say? Yeah, I think that technically it's 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 very proficient. Um, yeah, that that fog scene, that fog machine scene, it's very universal, like the Wolfman, but it doesn't work as well in widescreen color. It's not, it doesn't work as well unless it's like four by three black and white. It looks very cheap. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I want to hear your thoughts on the transformation scene and the and the makeup effects. I personally, I both like it and don't like it. I, I really like the the I, shot. Of... I agree with that. I I like the transformation. I don't like right. the final. Exactly you know, where it goes. The result, I don't think, is very good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I love the shot of like Reverend Lowe's like hand, the claws growing out as he holds yeah. the bat. And and I like the shot where you see his gouged out eyes. He's like straining his jaw and he's got those canines. I think that looks pretty scary. But then the actual werewolf head, it looks kind of like cheap and rubbery, especially when his nose bends. and you know, like Oh, it looks like face. a costume. It looks yeah. like, well, let's just say I, it looks like a costume. I, I mean, put Greg, down that it looks like a mask. I mean, it looks like a costume. Yeah, It does yeah, look put, like a costume. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it, it definitely it looks like a mascot. It looks his head is too big for his body. Uh, I think mm-hmm. you can see that the best at like the end of the movie when he's inside the cabin. It kind of or the house. It it looks a little weird. Um, uh, I I definitely think the reverse transformation at the end, like that, especially that one shot where it's kind of like dissolving into uh, Reverend Lowe's like normal face. I think that's done better than his transformation into the werewolf. But regardless, the end product of the werewolf isn't very. Uh, it doesn't hold up, and we you, we know that it can be done practically, like that big standing up werewolf, like it was done in The Howling. It's yep. done in Dog Soldiers. The standing werewolf done practically can be done well, um, but that I think it was just rushed, and Laurentis and and uh, King were were clashing, so of course nothing's gonna get done. Um, so yeah, I think it was a result of time constraints. I think if they had more time, they could have turned out something as good as the howling, but what we're left with, thankfully we don't see it very much. 
Uh, yeah, I can't disagree with that. Um, Greg, what do you say? Uh, Jackson's on point. The the final uh, costume, because that's how you can label it, is just a right. costume. It's, yeah, you don't want to laugh at it, but if you were to see that versus some of the other practicals that were successful, you know, it's 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 like the Wolfman from, from 43 just updated if you will and not updated very good for being (laughs) for being being 40 40 years later and that that's the best that you guys could come up with so it's like you know the werewolf in in monster squad is 10 times better exactly so and that was only a year later robert picardo in the howling Oh, yeah. That, oh, that scene, you know, in the hospital, well, it's not a hospital, but the kind of whatever it is, you know, kind of little triage room they have there at the resort when Robert Ricardo transforms. It's like, oh, that is awesome. And of course, that's Rob Botin. And it's like, yeah, it's like, come on, guys. I mean, this, you know, to me, with better editing, and if they would have kept the same director, which I didn't know, and then if you would have hired Rob Botine, this could have been a huge hit. Right, Greg? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. We'd be talking about a different movie, though. But yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, Jackson, what do you say? Yeah, I think you definitely need a Baker or a Botine. Uh, and I think you need your your two heads of the movie to agree on what the the werewolf should look and act like. <laughs> that would certainly help. Well, but, this uh, is the, remember, this is Dino De Laurentiis who right. signed off on Rick Baker uh, in a monkey suit to be King Kong in 1976. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, he is legendary. But... Um, yeah, I, I definitely think it could have benefited for more time and a better, you know, makeup artist because it is really just like a mas- mascot costume. Um, but that, you know, I, I with uh, what he has, I think that uh, McGill does a McGill was, what's his name Everett McGill. Everett McGill. Um, yeah. He does a good job with the physicality yeah. when he's fighting Gary Busey. Um, I think yeah. that's that's pretty cool. And knowing that that's actually him in the suit adds a layer of appreciation to it. Oh, I think McGill was great. I, I, mm-hmm. I just, you know, he wasn't given a, a lot to work with. So this leads me to my next question. You know, my general opinion is the only reason to remake a horror film as a fan, I know why studios want to remake horror films because you don't have to advertise them as much. You don't have to market them as much. Hit mm-hmm. horror films. But this is one I think that could do with a reboot i think this a remake would be okay what do you say um greg what do you think um yeah i'm going to agree with you by the way that you developed uh that that thought there um it could be remade and hopefully whoever remakes it (coughs) jackson if you (laughs) choose to remake this use use the film as a guideline and write down the high points and the low points of the movie. So obviously we've talked about the costume being a weak point and the fog machine. Yeah. If, you know, and with the reworking of the editing, I think then it would definitely propel that movie up much farther. Less is more with the, with the creature. It worked for jaws. 
yeah. And, and, and studios and, and directors, they still continue to choose not to do it. Not all of them, but right. some of them, where if they just would focus on that less is more. And maybe that's what they were using for a template for this movie. Um, and and like you said, I wish I would have read the story, but it sounds like the story was fairly similar to the movie with yeah. with with the werewolf. But yeah, I would I would definitely support a, a re redo of Silver Bullet over a redo of uh, about ninety percent of the movies that they want to redo. Yeah, so. which are typically movies that don't need to be remade, right? Right. Exa- yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Jackson, what what are your thoughts? I think a remake could work. I think you get um, Stephen King involved. Obviously not Dino De Laurentiis, R.I.P. But uh, I think you can get Gary Busey to reprise his role. Now he's great Uncle Red. But uh, get him him back in there. Uh, Make him Grandpa Red. Yes, Grandpa Red. Uh, yeah, I think, and that would make it all the more crazy and irresponsible what his character does. It's like, Grandpa, you're not even going to give him a helmet? But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that definitely uh, you could learn from this because at its core, this is a really powerful story. It's just kind of weighed down by the limitations that they had. Yeah. Um, I, I think definitely if you if you took the practical side, you got somebody who is, who is really skilled at practical effects, um, I think it, I think it could be done. Unfortunately, I don't think it will be done unless I go out there and actively petition to get it made. Uh, because you know, right now, you know, CGI is, is cheaper and they're only going to remake stuff that's sure to be a hit. I'm not so certain that silver bullet is I, I'm a box not office so sure hit. because it became, it wasn't a hit at the box office, but it, it became is a, cult, a hit on right, is cable a TV classic. and, you know, on video. So Mm-hmm. All right. What else do we want to talk about this before we rate uh, and uh, recommend this sucker? So, Greg, what else? Anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, I'll just touch on the t- yeah. two things. One, uh, you ha- we have uh, an appearance of a legendary actor that I hear a lot about and I wish I knew more about. But he was in Reservoir Dogs and he does have a legend behind him for being very angry and ornery and all kinds of things mm-hmm. but good old lawrence tierney oh lord oh boy <laughs> yeah he he's the bartender he's the owner yeah. of that bar and he is the keeper of the baseball bat that says the peacemaker on it so i just thought it was a very fitting role if you will for oh fitting for to legend. make him a bartender yes yeah yeah <laughs> yes and because, wow yeah, yeah no no yeah yeah, I and mean, then, we covered we covered the Prowler with Greg Morgan. It was like, yeah. you know, one of the selling points for the producers was we have Lawrence Turner. It's like, oh, great. And then he doesn't say anything. It was like, why doesn't he say anything? Because he was drunk every, you know, every <laughs> single day. You know, the guy was so drunk he couldn't remember anything. You know, mm-hmm. all he could do was grope a young girl because, well, that's what he did when he was drunk anyway. I mean, it was just... <laughs> Oh Lord, but you're right. Yeah, I forgot about yeah, that. I just yeah, I, right. I had to give I had to give him a call out because yep. you know it's yep. it's it's just him. Yep. And then the other half of that story that I that I um introduced at the beginning. Oh yeah. So it's it's again I saw this circa 1986-87, and at the time there was a television show that was out, and it was called Werewolf. And it was on the yes. Fox network and the, the main baddie in it 
is played by Chuck Connors. Chuck Connors, yeah. Now you, it sounds like you remember. Oh, what? I watch. I loved that TV show, and I love also uh, the podcast that Gilman yeah. Joel did over. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And and Chuck Connors had the eye patch on. Oh my gosh, that's right. I didn't connect that. So what makes it kind of funny was just being me who I am one day we were I, th- I want to say we were even at church and I look back and I saw somebody that had an eye patch on and I look at my brother my eldest brother and I said oh my gosh Jeff I think that dude's a werewolf <laughs> and, and my brother actually played along and said I think you're right Greg what are we going to do? <laughs> and and I couldn't focus at all. All I kept sitting there thinking was that this guy, you know, I'm thinking about the 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 brief moment that I saw with with Silver Bullet, which yes. is you know, not much, but it was him in the in the bridge. Oh man, facing Marty, and I had no idea what even happened, but it you know, it just freaked me out. And then you have Chuck Connors. Uh, I was legit freaked out of my mind. And then finally, I probably like lost sleep or something. And my brother <laughs> finally admitted to me. But I thought it was a werewolf thing for the longest time was that, you you know, if you have an eye patch, you're probably a werewolf. And so I had I had to finish up the story. And it's true. I doubt my brother remembers it because I was just a dang goofball anyways. But I, that's my that correlation with Silver Bullet. So That's when hysterical. Yeah, when you enter you know, when you invited me, I'm like, well, I gotta share this story. <laughs> you know, because because I I it'll always go together with Silver uh, Bullet and just the the just the, the vehicle all on its own was always great. Oh but, my gosh, that's hysterical, um, man. But yeah, such a solid movie. Uh, and and uh, it definitely takes place for the 4th of July. And I think that we can all celebrate it with 4th yeah. of July. I think everybody needs to watch the best 4th of July movie, which is Jaws, which we yes. already spoke yes. about. Yes. But that's just me throwing it out there. Give it a whirl. Give it a listen. And um, yeah, it's a, it, this is definitely a good patriotic movie because it takes place in 1976. And focuses around fourth of july and marty has his fireworks and he saves the rocket for last and what's what's really cool about um cory Haim in this movie and how believable he is because if i remember he's actually plays an 11 year old younger than what we were saying oh wow and that young in it wow yeah and when he's lighting off the fireworks he is like a total kid and how anybody yeah. would react to a firework. He's clapping, he's hooting, he's hollering, he's he's yeah. shocked by it. And then when the werewolf appears, he generally has that look of like, I don't know if this is going to work or not, but this is my last chance. And he shoots that rocket. And the look on Corey Haim's face yep. is totally how I would look launching that rocket at somebody's I, head. We said it earlier. I thought he nailed this role. Yeah. Absolutely so. nailed this role. And yeah, and especially in that scene. I, I agree. And yeah, yeah. That that is a great scene with him on the bridge. Uh, which by the way, shot in Wilmington, North Carolina. 
So we're, mm-hmm. we're recognizing that Greg Morgan, Greg and mm-hmm. Pearl, we recognize Wilmington, <laughs> North Carolina. Um, Jackson, what about you, buddy? Well, a couple of things I want to say. Uh, first of all, you brought it up, Greg, the peacemaker and, and uh, Lawrence Tierney as a, as a bartender. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the parts where the werewolf uses the peacemaker bat to beat like the bartender and Terry Quinn. I know that's supposed to be scary, like, ooh, he's a wolf, but he can use a bat like a human. But something about this scene just doesn't work for me. His arm is like completely straight and he swings it off camera towards him. It looks <laughs> yeah. like a Monty Python visual. I mm-hmm. found that really funny. Yeah, um, it doesn't look good, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. And I think they're trying to hide the werewolf suit. That's why he's off screen. But um, and I, another thing I was wondering about uh, Lawrence Tierney. Uh, I know when we talked about the Prowler that on the set of the of the Prowler, the only way that Joseph Zito could get Lawrence Tierney to behave is when he had a gun strapped to his, his belt yeah. and pretended that it was a real gun yeah. that was loaded. I'm wondering if Don Coscarelli did the same <laughs> just to get him, because I know he shot the non-werewolf stuff. I wonder if he had to do that with Lawrence Tierney. Um, guess we're going to have to need, we're going to have to look into that. But um, anyways, just despite all my nitpicks, you know, with like the good night Marty stuff and the period irregularities, I mean, it's set in 76, but there's a bunch of mid 80s stuff in it. Um, I still really enjoy the, the, the movie. It looks great. You know, it feels cozy, like I said before. Soundtrack's awesome. Mm-hmm. And and most of all, I think it's just there are lots of great performances from character actors, like delivering great lines written by Stephen King. And I, I just, you know, I just love werewolf movies in general. I love The Howling. I love An American Me Werewolf too. in London. Yep. I love The Wolfman. Um, this is this is one I, d- I definitely want to see again in the future. I'd, maybe I'll even watch it next Fourth of July. Who knows? But, um, yeah, unless you have something to say, Dad, I'm, I'm ready to move on to our ratings. Let's do it. So ratings and reviews on a scale from one to 10. This I, I'm pretty sure this is not an avoid for anyone, but a rent or a buy. Greg, what do you say, buddy? I was going in with a with a solid. It's it's lower than what I normally probably would have given it, but it was starting out as a six. That's what I had written down. Mm-hmm. Six out of 10, three out of five for for letterboxed. But with the information of Don Coscarelli yeah. and that filling in some of the voids inside my brain of of some of the nitpicky shots that I mentioned, you know, it, I'm I'm taking giving it a full point up to a seven out of ten because yes. I can definitely see where Don was going for for those scenes that I that I even mentioned. And just playing them through my head. Yeah, it's and I totally would tell if you're into the werewolves, you're in the Stephen King, you are a secret Corey Haim fan, especially of the 80s. <laughs> if you don't have this in your collection, you're missing out because this is yeah. this is this will check all those boxes and it's it's definitely worth the buy and if you haven't seen it give it a spin obviously if you've made it this far we spoiled a heck of a lot for you but <laughs> definitely um if i if it crosses my path i'm not i'm not afraid of it anymore like i was at age eight but i will definitely <laughs> definitely watch it but i mean it still has those intense moments you know the 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 greenhouse death the the suicide death i mean yeah. they, they're they're dark and they go full throttle um and beheadings it, it, and oh the beheading yeah. yeah i mean it just starts off or like what like what jackson said with the uh oh i wrote it down but with the uh, brady's dad mr K- kincaid 
mm-hmm. that performance is oh. just raw. Yeah. And and you know Terry O'Quinn and and Mr. Kincaid just were playing the ideal roles, and it was chilling to the bone. So. And from a Stephen King movie, that's great. So this is a middle of the road for a Stephen King movie, you know, because there's obviously some really, really good ones and some, well, not so good ones that we don't right. need to mention. But, you know, it's definitely, you know, a step below Stand By Me, but it's it's still in there. It's it's a, it's a worthwhile watch. So that's I, where I'm at. I agree. Jackson, what about you? I'm going to come in. Between a 7 and a 7.5, so 7.25 mm-hmm. if you prefer. Uh, I watched <laughs> right. it. I like the little quarter ratings. I, I like rating my stuff on a quarter <laughs> scale. But, um, yeah, I, I watched it on Amazon. I, I would love to, to buy it physically to check out the special features. I would love to see interviews of the people who worked on it. But, yeah, this is definitely one I'd, I'd watch again. Um, it's Like I said, it's pure 80s coziness with a touch of, of Stephen King writ and terror. So, yeah, 7.25. Yeah, I originally gave it um, a 7 out of 10 on Letterboxd. But, you know, after rewatching it and talking about it with you guys, I'd be willing to go up to a 7.5. I do own it. I have the Shout Factory Um, Blu-ray. I haven't watched the special features yet, but um, I think I will. And so, yeah, I, I love this movie. And Jackson, I, I like the way you put it. It's a cozy 80s movie. It, it really is. And if you're a horror movie fan, because, yes, as, as Greg said, there's beheadings. There's, you know, um, this is not this is not a um, gateway Film. Yeah, no. no. It's not the Goonies. It's, no, it's, there are some intense. Darker. There are some intense moments here, um, but I do think it is worth it. So, folks, um, we're brought to you by our Patreon supporters, and you can become one as well for as little as two fifty a month. That's two dollars and fifty cents a month, and it all goes to supporting Jackson as an aspiring horror filmmaker. And we want to thank all of them. You can. Also find more stuff over at fatherandsonwatchhorror.com. And we have a Twitter account at at fathersonhorror. And we have a a slowly growing closed Facebook group. So, Greg, where can the good people find you, buddy? I'm everywhere, man. I'm, I I (laughs) am the, the, like you said, I'm the verb. So, um, (laughs) yes, you are. Yeah. I'm on Facebook. If you see me on there, just, you know, let me know how you found me and, the same thing goes for Twitter, you know, so it's QUA419 uh, for Twitter or just my I, name. Buddy, I smile every time you call into LOTC. <laughs> it, it is a highlight. I love it. Absolutely love I, it. I'm so, I'm so, uh, I don't know how to put it, like a turtle, I guess. Uh. Um that I, 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 believe, I believe I believe I believe I believe an L.O.T.C. episode without you, buddy. You have I know, to call it. Uh, I think it was two episodes ago. I, I failed to call and it was the the, the birthday uh-huh. hodgepodge. Yes. And and uh, yeah, Greg sends me a message saying everything OK, because I missed the call from you. <laughs> I didn't you call and I was like, and I was like, well, in all honesty, I kind of just, I didn't forget about it, but I guess I really didn't know what the topic was. Oh, Somehow okay. it just, it just flew right past me. So I just thought, oh, you know, um, 
I didn't even. I I just yeah, didn't make any not, call. I, um, so it, it wasn't announced very well, but it, it's that's not my fault and that's not their fault. It was just a miscommunication. But um, yeah, I definitely I'm definitely time. paying attention and I'll make sure that I, I give at least one one call in. Oh man, you got it. Yeah, you got to call in. It doesn't feel like an LOTC episode unless you and call I in. and I appreciate that from from every inch. I, uh, I appreciate all the accolades that I get for that, and it does make me smile uh, uh-huh. very big. So, oh, it's fantastic, and and it's not just that you call in multiple times; you always have great movie recommendations, man. You well, always you. do. It's just like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, I should have. I should have mentioned that. So, abs- yeah. Oh man, it's great. Well, so, thank you, and and thank you for having me on the on this episode. This was great. Oh, dude, we love having you on. You got to be on Excellent. many, 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 many more times. So, when whenever you want, you know how to get a hold of me. So I appreciate ab- it. Absolutely, buddy. So Jackson, where can the good people find you? First of all, I second that. I second everything my dad said. I second everything Greg says. Uh, yes, I, we love having you on and the LOTC guys love having you on because you, (laughs) you have, you're great podcasting content. If you look at it from a cynical perspective, we bring (laughs) you on so you can do the podcast for us. There you Um, go. Thank you. But, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Kane underscore hero 12, K A I N E underscore hero 12. Man, that's a tongue twister. I have to really <laughs> slow it down. Oh, you came up with that when you were really young. So I did when I was and a big fan of Spider Man comics. Yep. Yes. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter and, uh, you can find my letterboxd and YouTube links from there. But, um, yep, yeah, that, that's it for me. And I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd at uh, Pastor Matt R. So, again, Greg, thanks for being on, buddy. We always appreciate it. We have all kinds of stuff planned, including a trip to Joe Bob's Drive-In Jamboree, where yes. Jackson and I are hosting a meetup. So let us know if you will be there. Um we will also be recording there, and we have a lot of shows planned on top of that, including The Blob versus The Blob. The Blob 1958 versus The Blob 1988, um, and after, and that's going to happen after Jackson and I visit the cinema from the original <laughs> Blob. And Barely Ashley uh, has agreed to come back on to talk about Bride of Frankenstein. We've got a Candyman versus Candyman episode and a Halloween franchise review that, quite frankly, may take a couple months to do, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's going to be an ordeal. Sometimes we do ones where we talk about like John Carpenter's entire filmography in one episode and we miss so much. We're going to have to slow it down. Do <laughs> do one episode on Halloween, one episode on Halloween to, you know, really take our time. Yeah, because... Jackson and I have been messaging back and forth. It's like, so do we do one episode on four, five and six? Do we do one episode? And it's like, we're, we're, we're working this out folks. So we're, if Wolfman Josh had his way, we would do an entire episode on Halloween six. <laughs> no, no, no. Halloween H2O. Right. Oh, and Joel oh, was the one who like five and six. Halloween H2O. No, it's, it's Greg Amortis who actually oh, likes Halloween six. So. He likes everything. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling a strong nine out of ten on this one. I didn't really like it, but it was a nine out of ten for me. Uh, I would definitely recommend you get this on DVD. <laughs> oh, we love Greg. But anyway, so 
All right. That's what we have coming up, folks. We've got a lot of stuff coming up. So, Jackson, say goodbye to the good people. Uh, goodbye, and uh, if you guys don't mind, to close out this episode, I'd like to, to read a final passage from, from Cycle of the Werewolf that I found especially striking. Uh, this is from December, the final chapter of the book, and this should leave you on a very cheerful note. <clears throat> Things change. Things don't change. And in Tarker's Mills, there we go, it's Tarker's Mills. Tarker's Mills, okay. The year is ending as the year came in. A howling blizzard is roaring outside, and the beast is around somewhere. So uh, let that uh, go to sleep, uh, rest easy tonight, and uh, (laughs) see you guys later. (laughs) Thanks for listening, and remember that the family that watches horror together slays together. See ya. Once again, I want to thank the great people over on Patreon, Dave Becker, Greg Bench, Ryan Bratton, Dan George, Ian Urza, Kevin Corby, James McFeeders, Ashley Pinkert, Greg Amortis and Pearl from LOTC, Joel Robertson, Brian Scott, Amy Swan, and Trey Whetstone. Thank you all so much. You make this podcast possible. We said time and time again, you can't bet man. So I'll bet you're a Yankee. Piss on the Yankees, piss on the Indians, piss on the Phillies, piss on the Phillies, piss on the Phillies. Oh, man. Let him finish the game. Okay? Make it quick. Okay. What did you say, Yankees? Mm-hmm. I see you're Yankee. <laughs> and I'll call you. I got three kings, read them, and weep. <laughs>